I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are continuing our series in uh, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8, and uh, it's been a rich study, and it's, again, just a blessing to study God's Word, to know it, and to follow the Lord in that. So Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be again today. And so this is the, th the third message into it. So we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17 primarily. The Word of God says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Praise the name of the Lord. As we look here in Romans chapter 8, and again, I, I like to use this, uh, this comment made by one, one preacher that, that the, the Bible, think of the Bible as a ring, Romans, the book of Romans as the diamond on the ring, and then Romans 8 as the sparkle to the diamond on the ring. So it's a very precious passage, and it's very important as we study this how important it is to know our position in Christ, knowing who we are. So in looking at that, this is just kind of a very quick review before we get into the uh, verses 12 through 17 today. But understand this, in verse 1, we find that in Christ, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So our position as children of God is we are no longer under judgment. Rather, we are justified. We are no longer condemned. We are justified. We are declared righteous. And that is our position in Christ, okay? So uh, one thing I want to say at the very beginning is this, that one of the great themes of Romans chapter 8 is really the assurance that we have as believers in Christ, uh, we, and we praise God for that. And we're going to kind of deal with that practically a little bit today as well. In verse 2, we find out that our position as Christ is found in the in the power of the Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit. And actually, through uh, and when you compare like Romans 7, for example, Paul uses a lot of personal pronouns, I, me, my, in his description of his struggle with the flesh, for example. But in Romans 8, you kind of lay off of that. You don't see that really at all. But what you see, more than anything, is the Spirit. The Spirit here, referring to the Holy Spirit, is mentioned about 19 times in Romans chapter 8. So, Again, is there uh, a reason for us to know about the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, okay? So that's what we find there. So we have our position in the Spirit. It's found in the power of Christ. How is our freedom secured? It's found in, uh, in the Savior's sacrifice, what Jesus did in verse 3. It talks about God sending His own Son like this a sinful flesh. In other words, Jesus became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness in Him. Praise God for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And because of that, we are no longer condemned. Praise God for that. Now, what do we do with that? Well, how do we live now as believers in Christ? The freedom that we have enables us to live righteously in verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not of the flesh, but after the Spirit. So today we're talking about in a practical way, how then do we live in the Spirit? Living in the Spirit is what we're talking about today. So living in the Spirit calls us to have the mind of the Spirit. 
uh, when we, it's a proper mindset. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. That's a permanent indwelling. When you are saved, the Holy Spirit came and lives inside of you, okay? Nothing can take that away. That's the work of God in your life through the Spirit. Praise God for that. With that, though, we are set now in a new direction, a new direction to live for Him by the power of the Spirit, okay? We are supposed to live for Him by the power of the Spirit. So in other words, when you are born again, you're set in a new course of life, a new direction. Everything's become new. There's a, um, a chorus that I remember we sang as I was younger and occasionally I still do, and I, I could not find it in any of our hymnals or even of our songbooks, but it goes like this. I sing a new song. Oh, I'll just sing it for you. Maybe you'll know it, okay? I sing a new song since Jesus came. Serve a new master. Wear a new name. Walk a new road, have a new goal, knowing a peace down deep in my soul. You basses can get that better than I can, okay? But anyways, that little song, that little chorus is really the essence of Romans chapter 8. Because we do sing a new song since Jesus came because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We now serve a new master, not under the bondage of sin in the flesh, Rather, we're under the bondage and really the, under the master of the spirit, which is freedom. Amazing. We walk, we wear a new name. We're going to be talking about that with the spirit of adoption today. That's really powerful. We wear a new name. We share the name of Christ in that, okay? And with that, we have a new, we walk a new road, a new direction, all right? And then we have a new peace, a peace that passes understanding, and that's down deep in our soul. And that's through the power of the spirit. That little chorus We'll get that chorus put in print somehow in some way, and we'll sing it together, all right? We'll do that. Maybe next week. Okay. Nonetheless, enough of that hobby horse. Okay, move on. What do we do now? Now that we're under no condemnation, we're free from sin and guilt. And last week, we talked about the battle of the mind, or really the mindset that we have, okay? And verses 5 through 8 really deal with that battle. There's that battle, and really these verses are dealing with the, the believer versus the unbeliever, the status that they are in. First of all, the unbeliever, they live and they're bounded by the flesh. We're talking about the flesh. That's that, that, that specific uh, desire to live in sinful desire. That's what it's talking about. Versus living in the spirit, to walk according to the path of the Lord, according to a spirit that lives within us. The other option, that, the other idea is in verse six, uh, is the idea between life and death. That is the battle that's going on in our mind. The flesh and the spirit, life and death. You live after the flesh, the natural result is going to be towards death. You live after the spirit, that's going to give you life. Continuing on, verse seven, you have war with God. Those who are unsafe, folks, whether they realize or not, are at war with God. They're at enmity with God. Those who are saved, the opposite of war is peace. All right? So having peace with God. And then finally, in verse 8, we have the difference of pleasing self. Those who are unbelievers in the flesh, they simply look to please themselves. An unbeliever doesn't think about how to please God with their lives. Okay? It doesn't come naturally to them. For the believer, though, God, through his spirit, helps us to live for him. In, in with using our bodies. Yes, our bodies are falling apart, but this Holy Spirit gives us that power to live for him no matter what. We like to say this, that there's just two choices on the shelf. What? Pleasing God or pleasing self. Okay, very, very important. Okay, so now in verses 9 through 11, uh, we talked about having the assurance of a spiritual mind. 
This is again a review from last week, but having assurance. So here's the point of this. In verses 9 through 11, we talked about that battle that happens between the flesh and the spirit, and between the unbelievers and the believers. But he's talking now in verse 9. Look at this carefully. It says here, But ye, talking to the church, to the believers, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Okay? In other words, you're not like that. Now, oftentimes you see safe people living like that, but that's not supposed to happen. Okay, you're supposed to live. It's it's kind of like, let's go back to, you know, just a couple weeks from now, you're going to see the Vikings gear up and all that. What if our glorious Vikings are playing the Packers one Sunday and you see someone on the Vikings bench making signal calls to the Packers over there? Hey, this is the play we're going to do next. That wouldn't be much of a team player, would it? No, in fact, you would probably get all over them, right? Okay. But anyways, could you imagine doing that in we are on God's team, but so sometimes in the flesh, guess what? That old man, that old nature still kind of creeps up. We still battle with that, and we will until the Lord returns or until we go to heaven, okay? So how do we deal with this? This is talking about something that we need to settle in our minds, that you as a believer are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. The spirit, as it says in verse 9, dwells within you, okay? You are in Christ, but also the spirit is in you, all right? It's, it's a mutual uh, relationship here. And so here's the thing. If Christ, verse 10, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, our body is falling apart. That's the natural course of life. But God, through his spirit that dwells within you, gives you the power to live for the Lord. Amen. That's, that's the point of this passage here. So with this, verse 11 is really the catalyst for the next verses that we're going to be looking at today. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and he does, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelt in you. In other words, it's how do you live for the Lord? It's not through your own strength because you will get frustrated. You will fail. You will. It just happens in our flesh. We try to do it in our own way. However, by living in the spirit, God gives us the power to do that. That's why we talk about, for example, in Ephesians 5, to be not drunk with wine or success, but be filled with the spirit. Sing yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. These are key parts and to be submissive one to another, to work together in our families, in the church, and in the workplace, the just practical areas of life that we need the spirit. Have you ever gone to work one day? And you know, I mean, you just are going to be having a meeting and you know that there's going to be people there saying stuff that shouldn't be said and all that. What do you do as a child of God in those situations? There's conversations in the break room that, you know, you, you, would, you wish you weren't there type of thing. How do you respond as that? Well, it's easy to get in the flesh and join the party, right? Or to maybe give your two cents in and you got to ask yourself, well, am I pleasing God or going to please self with that? The way that that happens is this, by being led by the Spirit, okay? Letting God's Spirit work through life. When you go through those issues, maybe you're, maybe you're going to see someone this week and you say, man, this is just, is it going to be the greatest situation? Or it could be a temptation. Maybe there's a temptation. How will you deal with that? The thing is this, it's easy in our flesh to simply go along with the crowd, all right? It's easy because we're so close to Wisconsin to cheer for the Packers, but you know you shouldn't, Okay? <laughs> It's kind of one of those deals, all right? <laughs> if you're a Packers fan, God bless you, all right? So, but nonetheless, 
when we get in the flesh, it's easy to, to give in to the flesh that way, all right? How do you combat that? It's by not in your own strength. It's by being led by the Spirit. And that's the point of this. So here's the thing. This gives us assurance that this, this Holy Spirit lives with the spiritually minded. The Holy Spirit is within you to do that. That's God's work. In other words, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit is within you and no one can take that away. This gives you assurance. We talk about eternal security. This is an element of that right here. This is very important. So my question is this today. What is your mindset? Where is your mindset upon? The things of the flesh? The sinful desires that we deal with? Or is it set on the things of the Lord through the Spirit? That's what we're talking about. If you are in Christ and you know Him, you are given life and power through the Spirit. Now, if you're here without Christ, you do not know Him, then you are powerless to live for God. In reality, you're at war with God. Here's the deal. The key to living in victory, that's our kind of our theme for the summer. The living in victory is to have a spiritual mind that's submitted to Jesus Christ. Have a spiritual mind that's submitted to Jesus Christ. Lord, I will follow you. Lord, by your spirit, lead me. Guide me into all truth. Keep me from evil. All those things are essential. So here's the point. Knowing that we have a sure hope in our position in Christ, how then shall we live? How shall we live? As we are secure in Christ by the Spirit, my prayer is today that we take joy in living in the Spirit. So now we start in here in, in chapter 8, verse 12, okay? Verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if, if ye through the Spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the, of the body, you shall live. So what's we talking about here? It says here in verse 12, again, brethren, or to the believers, brethren and sisters as well, okay? We are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. So here's the point. When we say a debtor here, we're talking about an obligation. You are not obligated as a believer to live after the flesh. You're not obligated. Just because the crowd is doing it doesn't mean you have to. Just because you feel like, man, I just am having a rough day. I think I'm going to lay off of church and Bible study and all that for a while. You know what? That's, that easily can give in to fleshly desires. You got to have your guard up for that. But you're not obligated to follow after the world. You're not. Just because, hey, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Doesn't give an excuse to do those mistakes. All right? Keep that in mind. Sometimes we give, it a, give us a pass, uh, ourselves a pass when we do that. Okay, so here's the thing. You owe nothing as a believer to the flesh. Talking about the, the narrow sense, the sinful flesh and rebellion against God. Why? Did the flesh give you anything good? Your sinful desires, did they actually give you anything good? Not, shake your head no, okay? It didn't, all right? I'm trying to help you out here. I got to stop for a second because this brought me a cultural idea. Years ago, we were in Bulgaria. My wife and I, we traveled actually with her parents. We were in Bulgaria for a while. Did you know that in Bulgaria, that things are opposite when it comes to yes and no? If someone has this, they're saying no. If they're doing this, they say yes. That's in Bulgaria, folks, okay? And you say, thank God we're in America, okay? It was confusing for the first day. Then we got the hang of it, too. And then we were confused when we went back to Israel. Nonetheless, okay, anyways, where was I going with that? Anyways, the flesh gave us nothing good. That's the bottom line. It gives us nothing good. There's no profit out of that, folks. And the end of the result of that is the ways of death. Our death, though, is what? As believers, is not to the flesh, but it's to the Lord. 
That's the point. It's to the Lord. You see that we are saved by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we must also walk by the Spirit if we want to grow and pursue holiness in the Lord. That's very important. Yes, we are saved by the work of the Spirit, but we also need to walk in the Spirit. Walk according to the way of the Lord. So we cannot be made, Galatians 3.3 says this, that the, the, the Galatians, Paul was addressing them, says, you're foolish to think that you were made perfect by walking after the flesh. By following after your own desires and, and, uh, and being your own way, you cannot succeed by living after the flesh. You can't live a victorious Christian life by following the deeds of the flesh. That's the bottom line of it, folks. Very important. So what should we do then? That's the question. If we're not obligated to live after the flesh, what should we do? And that's where verse 13 comes in. For ye that live after the flesh shall die. That's the end result. But if ye through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So here's the point. Don't give your allegiance or loyalty to the paths of darkness, to the paths of the flesh. Don't say, hey, I'm going to follow them. I'm going to be, I'll be honest with you. What side are you on? You have to ask that to Christians sometimes. What side are they on in the spiritual life? That's something we all need to face personally. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at someone down the street or family member. Look at yourself and your own heart. Where is your allegiance? Where is your loyalty? And so in doing that, how do we do it? We mortify. Paul says here to mortify, which means to put to death or have a separation from the sinful deeds of the flesh, okay? There's another time that he uses this analogy, and hold your place in Romans 8. Go with me to Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 3. And you'll kind of see this a little bit more practically here now. In Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul, who's also writing here to a different group, but in Colossae, Colossians 3, verse 5 says this, Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So basically, there's a whole bunch of sins that are according to the flesh that's taking place there. And Paul is saying is this, and actually look with the verse 4 right above it. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall appear with him in glory. Therefore, because of what we know Christ will do, we are his, we should mortify, put to death these things in our lives, the things after the flesh. That's very, very straightforward for that. So this is serious business. These are some, um, the following points here are by a commentator, Doug Moo, very important here. He says, number one, about mortifying our flesh, it says, this is serious business to put into effect the new life that God gives us. It is not optional, but necessary. In other words, it's not an option to put to death and separate yourself from the things of the flesh. It's not an option. It's necessary. Okay? Very important. Number two, he says that this response is empowered by the Spirit. You cannot stop committing sins in your own power. It can only be done by the Spirit. All right? Talking about a hard habit that's to break, okay? You can't do that in your own flesh. But it can be done through the Spirit. I'm going to give you my own dad's test, my dad's testimony. Uh, when he got saved, he uh, some of you have heard his testimony before, but uh, my dad, uh, earlier in his life, he... Uh, went through a lot of hard times, made, he, he sinned a lot, okay? He ended up going to, to prison for five years, okay? Now, he got out, and he was uh, still living for himself. Eventually, um, he met my mom, and uh, not through my mom per se, but nonetheless, uh, he was able to find a, a, a book, I think it was, um, I forget who it wrote, oh, Late Great Planet Earth, that's what it was, 
that kind of that kind of got got his attention a little bit. Got a Bible, and one morning, early morning, he was in the back seat of a car reading the Bible, and he just came under conviction and got saved. Pretty amazing. But my dad also had some pesky problems with, with smoking and drinking. My dad drank a lot during that time. Now, this is before I was born, okay? But anyways, he prayed, God, deliver me from this. And you know what? He tried to quit. Throw the beer cans out, dump it down the drain. He did all that kind of stuff. You know how many times he did that in the flesh? And you probably heard these stories umpteen times. Probably lost count. But you know what? God did a work in his life and he simply surrendered God. God, I can't do this. I need your help. And guess what? God simply took that away. And so... I think I was a baby when God delivered him from alcohol. I praise God for that, okay? That's just a, a, a practical illustration of what we're seeing here, okay? So you can't stop committing sins in your own power. It can be done by the Spirit. Also, we see here that God demands in this verse a clear long-term process in becoming less like the world, the flesh, and becoming more like Christ. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit's work in our life? Is to mold us to be more conformed to the image of His dear Son, which is the end of Romans 8. Okay, That's the goal. That's where we're heading to. The reason why you stop living after the flesh is what? Become more like Christ. That's why we're doing all this, folks. Okay, But you can't do it in your own strength. You can have a thousand rules of how to live and not do things. But if you're doing your own strength, folks, you can't do it. We need the power of the Spirit. So very, very important as we see this. So what do we do now? Verses 14 and 15. Let's read those. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And ye have not received the spirit of bondage to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. These are incredible passage, uh, passages that we are reading here. So here's the point. Our obligation is not to live after the flesh, to mortify the flesh. That's the, our obligation. We don't, we're not obligated to live after the flesh. Rather now, we are obligated, or our calling now, is to be led by the Spirit of God as children of God. It mentions here that as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So one way we live in the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit, okay? And we do it as sons of God. God's children or God's sons are led by the Spirit. We are simply to follow. What that means is simply, simply follow the Spirit's leading. Uh, a lot of times in Christianity, we, we hear, well, God led me to do this, or the Spirit led me to do this. We kind of hear that expression every once in a while. But really what we're talking, sometimes usually we're just wanting to, God to agree with us, if we're honest, okay? <laughs> but what we're talking about here is simply being submissive to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives in a practical way. Here's one thing that's very important. Is the Spirit of God really leading you? Ask yourself this question. The Spirit does not drive us. He leads us. Think about that. Who drives us? It's the flesh. It's Satan, the world. They drive you. They push you. It gets really uncomfortable at times, doesn't it? But the Spirit, what does He do? He actually leads us along. Uh, my mind immediately goes to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We sing a song, he leadeth me, oh blessed thought. The fact that God leads us, he does not push us. So if you are feeling pressured or like you're feeling like you're being pushed, is that you doing the pushing or that someone pushing you? Now sometimes we need that nudge. I will say that the Holy Spirit does nudge us, but ultimately the Holy Spirit does lead us. It leads us, and where does the Holy Spirit lead us to? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But here's the thing. Where does, or how does the Holy Spirit lead us? When, a, when God's Spirit leads a believer, first of all, it's 
away from ungodly desires. When, a, when the Spirit leads a believer, it's away from ungodly desires. This is another catalyst. Are we being led in a certain way? Number one, God leads us from ungodly desires through His Spirit. Number two, when a Spirit leads a believer, it's on a constant journey. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Okay? In other words, the, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Okay? It takes time. It takes plotting. Think of that. Great example of this. You think in the Bible times, the Old Testament, the children of Israel, after they got out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. How were the children of Israel moving? Did they drive? Did Moses say, crack the whip, said, hey, tribe of Asher, get moving. Hey, Judah, get moving. No, he didn't do that. How did the children of Israel move while they were in the wilderness? They were led by the presence of the Lord through what? Through the pillar of cloud by day, through the pillar of fire by night. God spoke to them on Mount Sinai. Many other ways that God led them through that. And that's a great example and a great illustration how we should be led as well. Looking, for, looking around. So here's the thing. If you say, well, is God leading me? Maybe that's your question today. Is God really leading me in my life today? Well, here's the thing. We don't need to be waiting around for God's leading. Because why? He's already leading you. <laughs> you say, man, I'm just going to sit here. I need a break anyways. We don't need to sit here. Hey, all right, God, when are you going to lead me? All right, when should I get up off this pew? You know, God, should I go to Starbucks or Dunn Brothers or should I go to Caribou today? God, will you lead me? Folks, don't push God, okay? Don't do that. But be led by him. Maybe God say, hey, God, where would you like me to serve today? Who can I be a blessing to? God will often bring people to your mind or things you should do for him to be a blessing, to be a witness, and to be an encouragement to others. These are things. We don't need to be waiting around because God's spirit is always leading, always leading us, for example, on godly desires, on a constant journey. Here's the thing. Are we looking, though, and are we ready to follow him? That's the thing. In the flesh, we're not in a hurry to follow after God. We're not. We, de we definitely need to be aware, though, of God's work in our life. The next thing I want to say is this, that God's spirit leads us to God's places with God's power. That's very important. God's Spirit leads us to God's places with God's power. Very important. We, in other words, we are empowered to go where the Spirit wants us to go, to live where He wants us to live, to live how He wants us to live. So where is this, uh, the Spirit leading His children? Okay, number one, it's to mortify the flesh, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, okay? So again, has the Holy Spirit led you to walk away from the flesh? In this past week, have you been aware of the Spirit's leading you to stay away from something you know you shouldn't do because it's going to cause you tons of problems? Have you sensed that? If you haven't, say, man, pray about that. Pray, God, would you have me live for you? How would you have me live for you, okay? Be open to that God will lead us. He leads us in that way, okay? So have you been aware of that? And here's the thing, the Spirit is leading His children in a certain direction, not just to do all these things, but it's really more concrete than that, and it's really this. The Spirit is leading us simply to become God's adopted into His family as sons. That's what it says here in verse 15. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Father. As we see this, uh, this kind of correlates with John 1.12. Maybe some of you have memorized this verse. But as many as received him, to them, what? Gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When we think about adoption, a lot of times what we think of is, you know, we welcome, actually we have some dear friends of ours that recently adopted um, uh, a baby into their home. I guess it's 
a little bit older now, but uh, live in Pennsylvania in Philly, believe it or not. Shout out to the Philly folks, okay? But anyways, they welcome in. There were some trials, at, but now they were welcome this, this young child into their home as a part of the family. And I'll be honest with you, that there's a sense that we are brought into the family of God that way by God's calling, but its biblical idea of adoption is even stronger than that. It's much stronger, and we're going to see very clearly why. So because this, in the Roman times in this, in this area, that when you were adopted, that you really, uh, yes, you, and this is really talking about adopted sons as adults is kind of the idea. When an adopted, when someone was adopted as an adult into a family, they were given a new name, they were given a, an inheritance to carry on the family, and they were also given power to act a, as a part of that family. Uh, so there was a lot more involved in it. When I was studying through this, um, a certain story came to my mind. How many of you have ever seen the movie or read the novel Ben-Hur before? All right, several of you have. I, I absolutely love it. My wife, I guess, doesn't have the patience to watch the entire thing. But I, I absolutely love it. But there's one scene that's always stuck out to me. There's a scene in Ben-Hur or in, in the novel by Lua Wallace that when uh, Ben-Hur, remember, he was uh, unjustly... Uh, in prison. He was put on a galley ship, for example, and there the commander of the ship was Quintus Arius. Quintus Arius, he was the commander, and remember there was a battle, and that they were cast overboard, and and uh, Judah Ben-Hur saves Quintus Arius's life, and uh, anyways, they were brought back to Rome, and uh, of course, Judah Ben-Hur becomes a famous charioteer. You have the famous chariot scenes and all that, but in the course of the movie, though, in the course of in the novel, there came a time when Quintus Arius took Judah Ben-Hur and announced to everyone that I want to introduce Judah Ben-Hur, not as the famous charioteer of Rome, but as an adopted son of Quintus Arius, in that he made him a free man, no longer a slave, a Roman citizen, and more importantly, a son and an heir to carry on the name of his deceased son to share in his inheritance. It was a position of power. And a shared inheritance. It wasn't simply, hey, welcome to the family. No, you get everything. You get the whole kingdom, folks. The whole inheritance. That scene there is really what this is talking about here, the spirit of adoption that we have in, in verse 15 here. It's a tender, a, a very tender uh, relationship that we have that comes with the wealth of heaven through Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ. That's what we have. As children, the Holy Spirit is leading us in our relationship as adopted sons. Why does it say sons and not sons and daughters or even children? It's very specific. Talking about sons because sons carried on the family name on behalf of the whole family. And here's the link. It's because sons of, we're declared uh, sons of God with Jesus Christ, the son of God. There's a parallel that Paul is making here. But here's the thing. As we continue on this verse, what is the Spirit doing here? The Spirit is not leading us into the spirit of bondage. We're no longer under that yoke, okay? We're no longer under the flesh. We're now under the Spirit. And also we see that the Spirit is leading us to have a close relationship with God. It says here we have the spirit of adoption as literally heirs, and we see that in verse 17 especially, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Abba is actually an Aramaic word that was frequently used by, in, by Jesus himself, we actually see Jesus using that word himself. When he was at Gethsemane and he was praying in agony, he cried out, Abba, Father. Abba is simply, and actually Israelis use this today, 
We said talking about Abba is simply daddy. Who would call their father daddy except those that are really close to him? This is very important. So Jesus cried this prayer, Abba, Father. This, and Abba, Father denotes our intimate relationship with God. So here's the thing. You are brought in the family of God. There's no condemnation. You're, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're now a servant of Christ. But you're not just a servant of Christ. You are a part of that family for sure. But you are given all the rights and power and privileges. In other words, folks, if you only knew what... We talk about being saved from our sin. And folks, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers, they just stop there. You are saved from your sin, but you get so much more. If you only knew, if you only knew. Uh, um, this is maybe a weird illustration, but uh, I, I like the, how, how many remember the movie uh, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Fa Factory? Uh, more hands went up than Ben-Hur, okay? <laughs> Interesting. I, okay, I know the crowd we're working with now. Okay. Anyways, what, what happened? Willy Wonka, he gets that golden ticket, and what did he think? He, he got through everything, and yeah, he gets the ever, uh, everlasting gobstopper, okay? He brings it back. But what did he really get? What did um, uh, Charlie, what did he really get? Charlie Bucket, what did he really get? If you know the story. He got everything. That's a great illustration, again, of what we're talking about. When you're saved, you don't just get the golden ticket to heaven, folks. You get everything that comes with it through and with Jesus Christ. I mean, this is amazing, folks. This should just amaze us in our walk with the Lord. Why then should we live after the flesh? Put it to death. Get away from it. But you can't do that yourself. You do the spirit that lives within you. And now in your position as sons with him. Amazing. Okay, so the Spirit is leading us closer and closer to the Father. So, with that in mind, we kind of look at the last two verses, 16 and 17. The Spirit itself bear with us with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and joint heirs of Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, we should also be glorified together. See, our testimony that we have here now is that we are simply loved by the Spirit of God. We live in the Spirit. How do we do that? We're led by the Spirit. Follow him where he leads us. And now here's the point. We are loved by the Spirit. We are loved by the Spirit. God loves you as his children. How do you know that? Because verse 16, the Spirit bears with us our spirit. That's that assurance. God's Spirit works to give us inner assurance of God's truth. You know, perhaps you lack confidence in your standing with God. There's a lot of people who doubt or struggle with, am I really saved? And usually what they mean is, I don't feel saved today. But the thing is this, we're kind of looking at from our own lenses, per se, looking at from God's perspective. Do you ever stop being God's child? You don't. You don't. Even though you might not feel like it some days. And there's a couple reasons. Maybe, you know, God, you know, read something wrong or someone taught you wrong. Maybe there's an inner feeling, there's an inner struggle. We deal with the flesh. Those are things that we do battle with. But practically speaking here, that walking in the spirit, here's the thing. This is an encouragement. Walking in the Spirit will give you a deeper assurance that you stand in no condemnation. By walking in the Spirit, you will have a deeper assurance that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So trust in the Lord for that. This truth of walking or being in the Spirit cannot be understood except for divine help, though. You tell someone on the street, hey, I'm living in the Spirit today. And they'll probably point to the nearest bar. I don't know what they're going to do, okay? But nonetheless... The world doesn't understand that, folks. This only can be understood through divine help, through the Lord. So here's the point. 
the God's children should always be open and ready to obey the revealed will of God. So when we think about that, how do we know this through divine help? Remember this, when Jesus was with the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, he says, who do men say that I am? Some say you are Elijah or one of the prophets. Uh, but he said, who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? Jesus, thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. What was Jesus' response? That flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You didn't figure that out on your own, Peter. But what? The heavenly father. In other words, the spirit has led you to understand that, who Jesus really is. So this is what, this is what we're talking about here. But here's a, a blessing. Not only does do we have assurance, and that's what the Spirit bears with, with our spirit, we have that assurance. And walking with the Spirit gives us that deeper assurance. But now we see that living in the Spirit carries benefits and responsibilities as God's child. Verse 17, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs of Christ, if so that we suffer with Him, we be glorified together with Him. So here's the point. Je- being a child of God means that we have an inheritance, a heavenly inheritance. But here's the thing. How do we get that inheritance? You remember back in um, Luke 18, there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he asked this question, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what? That's the question a lot of people have. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But I think he's missing the point. Why? Because inheritance, the inheritance you receive from God is not a matter of doing it's a matter of being, being in the right family that God has called you to through his spirit. Amen. This is the thing. You don't inherit God's blessings by doing all kinds of stuff. Man, I went to church 40 weeks out of 52. You know, hey, you're better than average bear. Man, I read through the Bible this year. Good for you. But that's not what you do to inherit eternal life. Inherit eternal life means that God has given you. Just like Judah Ben-Hur in, in, the, in the movie, in the novel. He did not get that on his own. It was placed upon him. Charlie Bucket did not get the Willy Wonka chocolate factory because he simply got the golden ticket or something because he did something or even gave back the gobstopper for that matter. It was basically placed upon him. Same thing with our inheritance. We can't, there's nothing we do to inherit eternal life. It's by being in the right family, the family of God. With that, with that inheritance means that we share in the glories of Christ. But we also see something very important. At the very end there, it says, if that we suffer with him, we be glorified together. The sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ go hand in hand. And actually in the next uh, message that we're going to do next week, we're going to be talking about what it means to suffer with him and what is the purpose of suffering in that. So with that in mind, though, keep in mind, though, that we share the sufferings of Christ, which will bring greater glory. So as we wrap this up today, God's Spirit is calling us, in the words of C.S. Lewis, further up and further in to grow in our relationship with him. God wants a deep relationship with you. How do you do it? It's by walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, and being loved by the spirit. That's how you live in the spirit, folks. As we live in him, may God's spirit lead us. May God's spirit love us. We have inherited heavenly riches as joint heirs with Jesus. Living in the spirit is a joy for the believer. Don't underestimate that. We have, as the song says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We are led by the Spirit, as the song says, He leadeth me, O blessed thought. And we are loved by the Spirit as we rejoice in saying, I am His and He is mine. As we think about this day, living Spirit, why then do we live after the flesh? 
My encouragement is this. Understand that there is joy as we live in the spirit today.